Bring yourself back online. Welcome back to Freeze All Motor Functions, a Westworld podcast that doesn't sound like anything to me and doesn't take itself too seriously. Presented by Bolin Media, we are here today to break down and digest the season four finale of HBO's Westworld. I am your host, Jared Borislow, known to many as J-Bone, joined as always by expert level cranker, Ross Bolin. How are you doing, Ross? I am just hanging in there, man. Been cranking it up. Um... (laughs) I I I can't believe it's over. I can't believe it that that the season is over. And yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. You had some takes on Twitter. You had you had some takes on Twitter that that I am excited to cuz they were actually some non-takes. No, yeah, I was going to say I didn't I didn't give anything away on Twitter because I was res- saving it for this for this podcast episode, but also I don't think that's an episode you can watch and then give an immediate reaction to. That requires some deep thought and analysis. To really sift through, which is what we're going to do today, and which is why I'm so excited. And I'm also joined by the woman who destroyed her own pearl and replaced it with a pearl containing the full Encyclopedia Britannica, Serena. Serena, how are you doing? I am wondering if I painstakingly recall the details of the coffee I just spilled, if I can rematerialize it. Yeah, uh, before recording, Serena had one of those like coffees with a bunch of cream. That like was clearly took her about five minutes to make. Oh, she's actually she still has a new one. So you so maybe you did rematerialize it, but it was it was a bad situation. She had to spend like ten minutes with carpet cleaner and paper towels, and it was bad. And some swear words. And so, oh, a lot of she said every when she spilled her coffee, she said literally every swear word I have ever heard in my life. It was truly absurd, like every single one. It some in different languages even. She painted a tapestry of obscenities. Yes, it was yes, a lot did. of it was in Sudanese, which was a callback to last season when I was doing those translations. Yes. So, folks, it's time to jump right in to breaking down this episode of Westworld. The title of Westworld's season four finale is Kesara Sarah. Most obviously, this was selected as the episode title because, as we learn, it is the song Caleb sang to Frankie before bed. The song being referred to is Kesarasara. Okay, hold on. My dog is being insane. This is absurd. What it it and I'm just going to talk right through this as if Jared didn't have to get up and walk away because of his dog. Uh this was almost a what is is it cheesy moment for me because when he was humming the song. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, that's a lame bedtime song to pick for your child. I just I don't I didn't really like it as a bedtime choice. You seem like you may have you, you would have been okay with that? I No, I'm laughing because I found out about the song pretty young, but I I was then imagining what songs you would bedtime sing for your children, and Kanye West just popped into my mind, so that's what I was smiling about. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's I'm not saying I'd make good choices or that I will. I'm just saying I don't think I would. There's not a world or a version of reality in which I would pick K sera sera, what will be will be for my bedtime song for my kids but that aside that moment where they're like taking some time to sing together as the world crumbles around them was was a bit it was one of the only moments of the episode where i was like damn it we didn't need that didn't need that that was an expert oh go on go on sorry i was just gonna say not only was the act of it a little bit cheesy but the song was 
a little bit on the nose too. It's like it almost would have been better if they were singing some like non sequitur, but they're singing a song that has to do with like, oh, like the world's ending. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I completely I, I agree. Yeah. It's it's seriously, it would have been, I get, as a moment of emotion between Frankie and his daughter, it was awesome. As a moment of, like they, they went too far with it, like you're saying. They tied it in over the top to make it also about the plot. And it just like, the, the, it just tied in a little too well, the song. That is not a song anybody sings to their child, I no. feel like. That's what we talked about while you were gone. Ross was like, oh. I'm, I have a problem with it as a bedtime pick. And then I said, I'm imagining Ross like singing We Don't Care to His Children by Kanye West. It's a Kanye it's song, Jared. Hip hop. Uh, yes, yes. So yeah, Case Ross Rob by Doris Day. Whatever will be, will be. According to my friend Will Capadia, the saying Case Ross is always in an English-speaking context, and it has absolutely no history in Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, or French. In fact, the saying is ungrammatical in all four of those Romance languages. It is composed of Spanish or Italian words superimposed on English syntax, folks. Thoughts? It was evidently formed by a word-for-word mistranslation of English. I always assumed this was like, was French. I think in my brain. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. But I I never really looked into it. You're telling me there's no basis for this bullshit except for in our context? It it is in pop Spanish culture? that is it's Spanish that is incorrect. It's bad grammar. Wait, Jared, did did you study Spanish? Well, folks, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I do have a Spanish degree. I do have a Spanish degree. Um, and that's how I know that case is not actually grammatically correct because, you know, part of getting a Spanish degree, uh, I had to take a lot of classes. And in those classes, I learned Spanish. Huh? <laughs> that's generally how the, how the degree works. So aside from referring to the song Caleb sang to Frankie, I think this title was also selected and the song was selected as the bedtime song uh, in reference to how the decision on whether or not, quote unquote, saving the world is now fully in Dolores's hands. So whatever will be according to Dolores will be. Because this whole season, it's like Bernard knows the future. Bernard knows the future. Well, he knows the future up until he dies. And after he dies, it's out of his hands. We do not know what's going to happen. Only Dolores knows whether or not she's going to make that choice to save the world. Whatever will be according to Dolores will be. And as we see at the end of the episode. What? Wait, uh, hold on. Well, no, for sec- first of all, stopping you. That's yes. what we were talking about that we I didn't like about it when you were gone dealing with the dog, is that the song has a moment emotionally between father and daughter, fine, but tying it into the overall plot of the show, going too far, reaching. And that was it was like a little on the nose that the song was so, like the philosophy of the song, which apparently is cheerful fatalism, really went along with the moment. It just, it was, it was a little bit too poignant. Um, but also... Bernard does see past his own death in some in some way and he does impact what happens because he plants that fucking gun. Yes. And he and knows know all she has to after. do is reach with one hand. So he's seen it somehow. Yes, but he knows that after he, he knows he he can predict everything up to a point. And it's it's known by Charloris even as well as Bernard that it's Dolores's choice to make. He doesn't know whether or not she's going to make that choice. He knows that it's possible. That's why he says like he's seen a path. 
He's no, he knows that it's possible Dolores makes that choice. Right. But he has no idea. And I think it turns out that the reason why Dolores slash Christina makes that choice is because of everything that's been going on in that simulation where she's been sentient testing herself the entire time as we find out. Anyway, moving on past the song, I hope. <laughs> the episode description, again, thank God. Just a quote from the show. I, I, I'm so happy that I don't have to break these down again because Wilkopedia, I hit him up so much. I text him all the time. He's like, bro, I need you to stop texting me, okay? I don't care about your stupid podcast. So he's getting pretty pissed at me. Sounds like a not supportive friend. You may want to cut Wilkopedia off. I think I'm going to, honestly. I hope he's not listening. I know he's not. He called my podcast stupid. Okay. Let's start off by discussing the cold open. Uh, this cold open, I, at one point, I was like checking to make sure I wasn't I wasn't watching something else because I loved it. It was definitely not how I thought they were going to start off this episode, but we get an amazing look into Host Man in Black's new game of last person standing battle royale winner take all. And by the grace of all the gods and the grace of the milk boys, we get another return of Rebus to the series rebus easily top five westworld character all time i loved this did you guys like the cold open i loved it because i felt like the whole rest of the episode um was set up like a video game and i feel like like even some of the moments that i found cheesy i was like okay they are putting us this whole thing is is this is the most video gamey we've seen westworld since season one so i thought it was a really cool setup and um i also really appreciated the man in black's comment when he took out that sniper. Yeah. He called him a camper, which notably everybody knows Ross is the biggest camper in all of video gaming. This... I just know that somewhere like all the first person shooter players like came in their pants during that moment. Yeah. It was, the, it was a big moment for the gaming community. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I, I literally, I mean, my wife has no idea what she doesn't know what that means. So I, I turned to her and I go, that's a gaming term. And she, she just, she just kind of looked at me like, okay. Um, so that was crazy, man. The, the, look, they've always done some, some video game stuff with this show. Um, little, you know, hat tips and whatnot to video games that have preceded Westworld's existence that kind of contributed to its framework. Like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. In, in large, and which this guy is from, obviously we've talked about that. Um, Rebus, the character Rebus actually was one of the characters and not Rebus, his name wasn't fucking Rebus, but he was one of the Grand Theft Auto guys <laughs> for Grand Theft Auto 5, I believe. Um, the crazy meth head tweaker psycho criminal guy that you get to play with. But, uh, I love this character and I love that they bring back their own past characters kind of throughout the course of each season. People will pop up here and there that we've seen three seasons ago or whatever, and this was probably the most fun one ever because it was, it, was. Uh, it was host Rebus stoked on getting to kill potentially millions of human beings and then immediately getting his fucking head blown off. It was awesome. Yes. By a random uh, camper too. Yes. By a random camper. Well, I, no, that was by, that was by the banker who, who put a freaking ax in the back of his head. Yeah. Oh he yeah. Sorry. The, the, yeah. And then, and then I think the banker was shot by the camper. Good call. Good call. Uh, Ross, I need to first off, another great cameo this episode is Craddock, who obviously is one of the guys who shoots up the man, the host man in black's car when he's driving. Because Charlie Lawrence is like, what hosts are around? Just happens to be Craddock, who I was like, oh, man, 
I didn't even Chronic. notice that, dude. I I, rem- I I put the face like into yeah. the war. I was like, okay, that's one of the hosts we've seen before, but I did not put the Craddock name to it. My issue is that Craddock, if you look at the entire scope of this series, Craddock was one of the most badass, like powerful, incredibly like strong and, and smart hosts that we saw in the entire series. And they, Charloris just used him to deliver a pair of sunglasses or, re, or, or Felix gray glasses. Actually, they were, yeah, those were, inc- uh, those were, uh, wait, so you think Blue that was intentional? So, what? That he was supposed to give those glasses up. Yes. Yeah. So I was, I, when I saw Craddock, I was like, oh man, Craddock is going to, there's going to be an epic fight scene. Craddock's a badass. They, they, they would not have brought Craddock back if he was not going to get in a crazy fight with the man in black. Cause he's, he's not just a pushover. He's very strong. He literally was like, hey, I have some Felix Gray glasses for you. Shoot me in the face. Did you arm wrestle what? Craddock at some point? <laughs> he should have arm wrestled Craddock. He's like, really, really strong. Craddock is walking up to the truck and he's like, wow, watch out. The man in black's a fighter. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna do something crazy. And, and then he just like walks up and like opens his door for him and then gets shot in the head. It's like, dude, come on. But like I said, he's just delivering a pair of Felix Gray glasses to the man in black so we could talk to Charloris, which that brought me back to the whole like Ciroc hologram era for like personally. Why do you have to, why do you have to take us there? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I know. Don't trigger stars. the whole audience and me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some uh, of our listeners really liked season three and like I've been reading the YouTube comments and some people get really upset when we say that we didn't like season three so. that is ridiculous that, what, that's like tobias there are dozens of us dozens <laughs> yeah we get it there really like there are there are a handful of y'all or whatever but most people and critically the response to season three was not good it was it was most people so i'm 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 cool with people liking it i will say this about season three after having seen season four season three jumps up like a whole letter grade for me because we don't get any of this Without that bullshit. And it wasn't a fun watch for me. And the world was on fire. And there was a lot of negativity inserted into that situation outside of the storytelling on the screen. But it was still their worst season by far. And it was the one that felt like they failed to execute on their grandiose vision that they had for it. So people can say they liked it if they wanted. I just want to make sure I shit on it one more time on the way out the door. Um, But let's get back. Which scene were we talking about, Jared? Uh, So... The cold open. That was the cold open, and then we Here, just here's the reason. The cold open. Sorry, sorry. Here's the reason I loved the cold open. Um, when it when it when the credits or when the uh, title sequence started, I was like, "Man, okay." So we've I pulled up the time at that point. I couldn't help myself. I was like, "I got to see how long this episode is," because they just did nothing with the cold open, right? It, it moved the needle zero. It accomplished nothing. It didn't do any storytelling. We already knew the man in black was on his way. That it was just didn't do anything. So at first I was kind of skeptical. I was like, why waste that space? And it's because the rest of the episode is nonstop jam-packed. You better be paying attention because this shit is crazy and you're not going to understand it at all if you don't. Yes. And frankly, it was in hindsight, by the time the episode was over, I greatly, and by the time we're discussing it today, I greatly appreciate the cold open. Because it gave us a few minutes of just pure good old fashioned, like the the sort of season one um, violence that that this show was really great about. So yeah. Uh, anyway, it just I loved it. I thought usually this whole cold open thing this season. Are they going to do them? Are they not going to do them? Is there going to be consistency? I think I was right when I made my original call that they would do them as as they felt it was strategically sound. 
but uh, but you know what? No, I'm going to take that back because this one was just for fun. There was no strategy to this one. It was just for fun, just to build up a little more anticipation and almost a throwaway scene, right? We didn't need this at all. It was completely unnecessary to the story. So it was literally just for fun. And I appreciate that. It was great. I loved it. That's where I end. Serena? Um, I was just going to say, I don't think we've seen a season of Westworld without some sort of like mass slaughter event. And we hadn't gotten that yet. So it was almost like they were like, hey, remember, it's not Westworld if we don't fucking kill a bunch of people at once. True. I do think the last thing I'll say about the cold open, because like we said, there's a lot more to this episode discussing that because you don't really need to discuss it. It's very weird to me that there's eight episodes and only one didn't have a cold open. It's like, yeah, it probably could have just thrown one in. It's weird to have every episode of a cold open, but one. Yeah, but that's just your OCD. It doesn't matter. It fucking doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, hey, and I'm Jared. Here's the funny thing. I I did what you're doing now with the the cold open obsession during I think it was Thrones, and it got really out of control. And finally, I got to the point where I learned my lesson, which hopefully you're doing today, which is that like. You can't really pay too much attention to when they insert the title sequence. Just be stoked when the cold open is dope and then and and that's it. There's like there's too much we read we read too far and it's our job to read as far as possible into this show. But as far as the cold opens go, I learned my lesson back with Thrones that they just they just fuck with you. So just try to enjoy when you get them when you don't. Don't necessarily let it screw with your uh, overall perception of the show. Can I say one more thing about cold opens and then I promise we can move on? I just think what's interesting and and this is going to be fun, like going forward for whatever people watch is that a a cold open in network is supposed to be like the break before the commercial so that people want to come back. It's like a sexy little teaser that makes you want to return and be like, what's going to happen next? Since HBO is premium cable and it's ad free, it's it's always really interesting to me because it is strictly a storytelling device because you're not trying to seduce an audience to come back after the title sequence. So to me, that makes it way more interesting about when they do and don't choose to use it because it's not a marketing thing. It's it is a hundred percent a storytelling device. So dude, and you bring up, you bring up something that I also, I wanted to ask you about. First of all, that's really interesting. And, and it plays into this point. Have you noticed that sometimes the shows and not just Westworld, but it's a thing I've noticed on Westworld too. It's an HBO thing. I've noticed sometimes shows are almost cut. Like as if a commercial did exist to be played right there. Like you could absolutely insert commercials and I can't tell if that decision is done, or if that is a decision that's made because they're like, hey, you know what? We might put this bitch on Hulu one day or whatever, and they'll they'll want to be able to put their little ads in somewhere clean or something like that. Or if it's that editors are just so used to that world still, where things were cut that way that stylistically they haven't found it. Because it's it's there are transitions I will notice where. Clearly, there was no no ability to put a commercial there. You wouldn't have been able to put a commercial there from one scene to the next. But then there are other scenes that are cut like, oh, you very easily could have put a commercial right there. Um, Did you want? Yeah, I'm done. So for network television, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible because it's an aside. But I mean, it's an aside, but it's an interesting one about TV. So take your time. It's broken into acts and... Um, each act signifies like where commercial break would fall. And so writers, when they write these scripts, it'll be 
some people call it a teaser. Some people go straight into act one. It'll go act. Basically, there's it's a five act structure. And at the end of each act, you want to be hitting certain notes so that people want to come back after the commercial. Now, with the rise of network or um, premium cable and streamers, a lot of writers, even in their sample scripts, are not using act breaks anymore. But the convention, it's like I want to write eventually for um, streaming services, but all of my samples have act breaks because it's kind of like it's easier to reverse engineer and take them out than it is to go back and put in structured notes that make it interesting. So a lot of writers will still write with act breaks in and then knowing that they can remove them later. But it's also pretty good like because act breaks are typically like there's page requirements for how long acts can and can't be on network. So I think some of it is like ingrained style process and then other parts of it is like it's also good for around 15 minutes for you to be hitting certain notes just for pacing right so i think that that's like the shortest version of explaining why i think it is that way um but when you read a like i work on a streaming show now and there's no act breaks in my scripts but i can tell you at certain minute marks there are things that probably should be happening just to move the story forward. Right. So I think that's where you get that sense from. Well, thank you for giving us an explanation. The last thing I'll say is about watching The Sopranos, re-watching The Sopranos, which we just finished doing and making a podcast for every single episode on patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. Myself and Barrett Dudley of Oysters, Clams, and Cockles did this project over 86 weeks. It was awesome. As one of the first prestige TV shows that was obviously not going to have commercials in it, it's very interestingly edited, especially the first um, four seasons, really, before they figured out the flow of things. There are super awkward breaks, like super awkward scene endings, weird transitions. And it's almost a fun part of watching The Sopranos and kind of seeing like, man, these guys had no fucking idea what to do without commercial breaks to kind of set their 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 very clear act breaks in their show. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let it go. But that was interesting to me. And this episode did have like really long black screen pauses after each because they were such heavy hitting scenes. Yeah. Like you said, action packed. Like this episode was made for commercial breaks, I feel like. It just had so many like boom and it's a black screen. Like, Dude, they seconds, almost did like the, the Lord one. of the Rings ending where there was like one, the episode ended and the screen went black for 10 seconds and then it comes back and there's another ending and then it goes black and then it comes back and there's another ending and it just kept going. Yes, I thought it was going to end like four times. I was like, no way they end like, uh, Same. They, they didn't. So after the cold open, we get the resurrection of Charloris by the droids. But I must note, and we must discuss, we did not get the resurrection of Maeve like Ross and I thought we would. I'm pretty shocked by this. She's the weapon. Oh, we need to get the weapon. Okay, the weapon's point was to come back, fight Charloris for 30 seconds, get shot in the head, and then not come back. Yeah, this is part of my, uh, probably my biggest problem with the episode is, look, we knew when those shots were fired last week that they were not final. We didn't know in what capacity. And then we very quickly see Charlotte Hale brought back to life by her drones. And yet we never see Maeve again. Or Bernard, I would add. I mean, we get little bits of Bernard, but like not really like active Bernard is really dead. He really is dead. Like that was really it. And that sucks uh, in a way. I mean, it, it makes... Uh, that scene from last week, a hell of a lot more powerful. 
because he really is ending Maeve right there. I mean, that was it. The end of their their battle, their one-on-one battle ended right there. Um, they've been fighting it out for seasons, and it just kind of feels like in the in the moment, because this show has sort of faltered with its its stakes, right, in the past, we never really know how much weight to give a death or a scene. Like, we never know which scene might be an actor's last. Maybe that makes you just appreciate it all more, but... Man, it was it was fucking heartbreaking to see Charloris get brought back and Maeve. No one cares. Yes. I mean, so it seems like, and I don't want to jump to the end, but if we are getting a season five, it's going to be going back into the park. So they could do whatever they wanted with everyone. Because yeah. I, if we see a continuation of this, we are going to see those characters again. It'll just be like, I don't know. I don't think you can call it a prequel when time moves like it does in Westworld, but it'll be going back to the parks. Like they said, the end of humanity is is here. It's happened. So everyone's fucking dead. It doesn't matter if these people are dead. And at the same time, even if they were doing something that continued on after this, the sublime is there. Like they could, I feel like there's always some way that they're getting the data and they're putting it in a new orb. It's like, even if they wanted to go forward with it, it's fucking Westworld. And that's kind of what you're getting at with the stakes. I think. Yes. It's like, yes, we did have see all those deaths and yes, for the purpose of this season, it looks like they're dead, but like we'll get into later uh, next season. If we get it uh, is inside of Dolores's brain and she knows all these people. So she can uh, pull a Teddy flood and reincarnate them from her own memory of them if she wants. So Charloris then has the droids or drones go full in-game purchase on her and upgrade her body to be more badass and stab resistant as she transforms into a new Charloris who I like to call kill bill Charloris because she dresses like Uma Thurman and is literally trying to kill a guy named William. I like that. Yeah. She gets the upgrade. It's tight. Also bulletproof, uh, I might add. This time, baby, she's bulletproof. So ever since Charlorris's reincarnation, her singular goal is to kill William so that he knows it was her who killed him, all because William ruined the world that she'd created. Now, the interesting part of this all to me is how her goals ended up somehow aligning with Bernard's. I thought Bernard and Charlorris were like, completely at odds with each other charloris wants to is doing this thing that's going to end the world and bernard wants to save the world whereas it turns out william is the one who is ending the world not charloris it's interesting what did you guys think of that it's interesting to me that on a show that is as you can you can do two things you can make it as complicated as you just did with that sentence and that line of questioning or you can look at it as simply this charloris is the version of dolores that does not see the beauty in the world Dolores or Christina is the version that does choose to see the beauty in the world and that that's a decision we kind of all have to make every day, right? That's what the finale, the, the, the final message of this season ends up sort of being, which we'll get to later. But in terms of this whole struggle between the man in black and, and Charloris and Christina and all of the complicated mess that we saw this season, it, it was interesting to me that they chose to sort of boil it down to these really big, big picture message points that apply to our society today, where 
You can either cho- you can choose the misery. You can. Most of us are doing it at this point, I think. It's a fucking problem. Or you can you can choose the beauty. And it's a really difficult choice to make and it's one you have to make every day, but like each character on this show, host, sentient, human, otherwise, they all seem to be trying to figure that one thing out for themselves. Which thing which which side of the ball they're going to be able to play like good or bad right and even with William I mean his final decision ends up being full black hat there is no beauty here this all needs to end it needs to be fucking destroyed and I think from from the beginning of this season if we'd been looking at it through the correct lens which is no reason we should have been Charloris had already made that choice she didn't just kill all of these people she didn't just end the world she definitely has maintained humanity in some sense. It's survived. So it wasn't that shocking to me. It was kind of the direction I felt her being pushed. Like, oh, she's going she's gonna to end up having to make a choice here. And the, the thing that was shocking is that she ends up choosing to get rid of herself. That was crazy to me. But the fact that she ends up being aligned more with Bernard than the man in black... Not so much, because you could see the rift between them getting crazy. I mean, uh, yes, I do think that the rift between the Man in Black and Charlotte was becoming very, very apparent, uh, incredibly apparent. So, but I, I don't, it's still shocking to me that she would choose a line with Bernard, whose goal was to save humanity, when Charlotte's literal only goal was to enslave them and make them feel what the humans made the hosts feel. So what That's do you what think, was shocking to me. Serena, what do you think the less, like, what, what changed for her? What would what did she learn through this video message from Bernard? What what made her make the decisions she made? I actually had written down that I felt like the video message was like relatively pointless. I, I guess it like put her in the place with like the gun thing, but um, I don't know. I I kind of took issue. Really, I mean, for me, I I think the video message seems like what made her realize that. She has got herself into this mess where she needs to make a choice to like go like she needs to make a choice to either stop the man in black and inside with Bernard or let the man in black destroy the entire world. So it's like, do you want everything to be destroyed or do you want a chance at, you know, kind of Charloris's end goal happening in a in a sense? Right. Because Charloris wanted to get the hosts out of the sublime into her world and it's like that's not going to happen but you still can help out the host in the sublime and sentient life if you go against the man in black and i think bernard's the one who made her do that i think bernard is i think her only plan without the video message was kill william that's it kill william which if she just killed william everything ends because she doesn't put christina in the sublime to save sentient life so I think Bernard really, that video message was huge. I think, I think cause they broke it into two. It was like, my initial thought was when we got the first half and he just said like, I can't remember where the, the end note of the first half of his message was, but I was like, wow, that whole thing was really fucking pointless. And then they like circled back to it and it became more important, but it had already left kind of a sour taste in my mouth. And we really didn't get the full realization of it until that climax moment with um, Maeve and the man in black, maybe that is where I formed 
that opinion. That was a microcosm of the entire show for me, what you just laid out. <laughs> of if something was pointless until it wasn't. Yeah, and then it's not, and then it's already been spoiled for you, so you can't even enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good point. I, I do feel like that's they do that a lot. lot of this went. They do that a lot, yeah. So we discover that Christina's pearl is being kept in the tower under that hologram city this whole time. And, you know, kind of what we figured was happening was happening. You know, Charloris was the one who made Christina, as she called her, the storyteller. Uh, now, speaking of Christina, we learn she's gone full Dolores and is once again helping herself find sentience. She's the one who wrote the maze on her fire escape. She invented Maya and her boss. She brought a fake Teddy into existence based on her memory of him, him being her cornerstone. And, and a bunch of more things in this world, all to help her gain sentience while she was under Charloris's control. Interesting note, Dolores gained sentience while under human control in season one and while under host control this season, which I suppose is what makes her uniquely qualified to be the entity tasked with saving both of those worlds at the end of the world. Do you guys have any thoughts on this episode's Christina Reveals and on how Christina's whole season kind of played out to set her up to save the world. I actually, it's funny you brought that up because I had written in my notes that I wanted to ask you guys whose story was your favorite um, since a lot of them intersected, but a lot of them could have kind of stood alone on their own. And I found Christina's story to be the most consistently compelling and also poignant. Like I, I'm not a Why big, not? sorry, God embarrassing um I'm not a big I don't cry a lot watching television I think I've like gotten kind of jaded but there were the notes in this season of Westworld that got me to tear up a little bit were consistently almost always Christina moments um I have to admit to something I uh Aaron Paul made me cry <laughs> and it, I'm, uh, I'm gonna be honest I, it's not a thing i ever thought would happen again I, I'm, I'm sure at some point in breaking bad i teared up like that was just an unbelievably intense and emotional show every fucking season but i like i like i started off the season saying i hope he's able to redeem himself because his season three was just trash and he hasn't done much good since breaking bad so he's a pretty easy target for jokes from me and uh, he redeemed himself, man. I thought he he did such a good job with this very complicated and difficult to ex execute on character. And then he brings in. I mean, look, I'll say this 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 final episode lacked the emotional, um, you know, like the heart that it would require to be great for me. Until he really put it in there himself with the with the scene with him and and Frankie Cookie see whatever on the on the dock yeah man like that 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 made me tear up hard like not tear up that's not fair i fucking cried he made me cry damn yeah i don't know if it's like a parenting thing now but or what i think i think I'm it more has susceptible. to be because based on what everything you said about aaron paul last season the fact that you now got to a point where he's making you cry crying and not cry laughing is is an insane insane job it has to be the parenting thing I, he be. was a huge part of the turnaround this season, man. He was a huge part I mean, of no, it for me. I think the best acting we got all season. I mean, well, I think I think 
Ed Harris killed it the entire season long. I think I think oh, he had a great he's the season. same fucking character every year. It's not that I hard. know, but he's so good at it. He's, he, he, no, Ross. Yes, he's good he's at actually, it. He's the same. He's the same character his entire career. Everybody sucks <laughs> off Ed Harris about how badass he is, and I get it. You got to give the OG. He's old. You got to give him his respect. I understand. But it's the same fucking character since season one. He has the easiest job of anyone on the show. Hands down. Okay, well, Aaron Paul in the Fidelity episode, where he, that was, that was phenomenal. Dude, that, I think the Fidelity episode is going to go down as one of my top, probably, definitely top five favorite episodes in the series. Serena, did you think he was good this season? Uh, I thought he had, I thought he was, uh, Markedly improved from last season. Okay. That, you, you just said nothing. You literally just said nothing. Okay, so I have a thing. She said no. I, he's not. He wasn't good. That's what I she have said. a thing where I think you can either be a creative or you can be a critic. And so yeah. I, I try to. Uh, uh, that's bullshit. Who, I'm both every day. It's possible. Okay, but but it's not your like. I'm. I work in television. I like. I'm. I went to school for acting. Like I just try not to. I'm a creator and a hater, dude. That's what I am. Not a creator I, and a critic. I'm a creator and a hater. And I will hate when it's necessary. I thought that he had some really good moments. I did think that in the Fidelity episode, he was he was strong. And I thought that... Um, I actually have written in my notes, and I'd be interested to know what you guys think of this. Like, I did not think there was any chemistry between Frankie and her girlfriend. I thought that there was more chemistry between Frankie and Caleb. And I, like... No, I'm not necessarily saying sexual chemistry. I just like watching them. I was like, oh, I believe this. I believe that they're bonded. They clearly did some off-screen work. Like I, I buy this. But every time Frankie and her girlfriend kissed, I was just like, yeah, comfortable. And, and before anybody's like, oh, you're being overly critical. Nah, man. There's certain things and certain kinds of people. I think we have the ability to like really feel or not feel connection on screen and emotional connection in particular, sexual connection, all that shit. This is one of those where you just, you, they didn't have time to give us that meat, I guess, like the stuff, no pun intended, but the stuff that would have, you know, maybe grown that relationship more in our minds so that it felt real. Uh, it just never happened. And as a result, it felt, I felt, <laughs> I felt myself asking if she was the real one, like, or, or, a, or a robot, like, ever since that possibility was laid out by Bernard, in part because of their lack of chemistry. I think, I, I feel like they were remiss in laying it out that way, because that thought popped back into my mind sometimes, too. And then because Bernard had even said... It could be her. It could be him. He had obviously seen different versions of it playing out where a different person gets taken and replaced. And that was like a weird detail to keep track of after the fact. So yes. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life throws everyone curveballs from time to time. And going through those situations alone can prove extremely difficult and exhausting. Many, many people have found having a licensed professional who can help talk them through life's twists and turns to be extremely helpful. And that's what you'll get with BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Ross, everyone knows you're a huge proponent of therapy. You think everyone should try therapy? I do, Jared. Uh, I, I would argue that life is significantly harder when you don't do therapy. It just makes it, I mean, everybody goes through stuff, your, your stress levels and emotions stack up and you need an outlet and therapy is that outlet. Therapy's great, Jared. 
BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you do not have to be on camera if you don't want to be. And getting therapy every week is as easy as a few clicks on your laptop or phone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash FAMF, F-A-M-F. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash FAMF. There's a link for that deal in the description of this episode. Thank you, BetterHelp. Next up, we need to talk about the whole Clementine situation this episode because it was kind of weird to me. I had pretty much forgotten Clementine was even a part of this season. And then she randomly reappears to brutally, brutally kill a main character in the show, Stubbs, and try and randomly just be like, oh, I want to find out where the outliers are hiding out so I can live there. What what was this? I did not like this. Sam, I am. I, okay, first things first, we have not seen very much acting on Angela. I'm going to butcher her last name. Seraphian, Um, right? Yeah, I think so. On her part, because when she was Clementine, she was like zombie Clem for a while. And and there was a lot of, she's got fucking acting chops. No, she's a great actress. I'm just saying Clementine's storyline was weird. No, 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 she's not saying this in response to you. She's just saying in general, it's something we hadn't gotten to see yet. Oh, yeah. We really had not seen her, especially like, because we'd seen her be kind of like a drone and and be under the control when she was like doing her thing. I was like, she's like, they should have utilized her more. One hundred percent agree. Excellent, and she also, I think she's so hot, so that helps too. But um, no yeah, her. Go ahead. One hundred percent agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very weird to have her just like kind of appear at the man in black's little cryo chamber and be like, Hey, I haven't had my turn. Like, when's it my turn to get mine? I, I, I think it was like, uh, because it's been such an ensemble show, they wanted to hit everyone's notes. And that's why we saw like Rebus and Craddock and all of these like smaller characters come back too. Um, and I'm glad she was there because I, I thought she killed it, but I also questioned it's, purpose yeah they do curtain calls like crazy on this show man like at the end of a broadway play everybody comes back out and takes a bow that's every season of westworld they bring back every freaking character but to your point this one it was heavy like there was a lot there she she seemingly makes the decision to to what she's going to do next with her life right it felt like she came there with at least questioning whether or not she should maybe try to kill charloris she was pissed and I don't, I don't really know what her direction was at first at the beginning of the conversation, but she ends up uh, deciding, like you said, Jared, that she's going to go, she's going to go kill all the outliers that remain and uh, occupy their safe desert space. Yeah, and I exactly. It's just a weird, but it, it is kind of full circle for her because when we meet her, she is living kind of in the middle of nowhere in like a little Spanish countryside town in this little house by herself. So it's like, she kind of does want to return to the desert and be alone, like kind of a full circle type thing. But I guess that's the real Clementine. This is the host version of that. So maybe she was kind of going back to, you know, to her roots. Oh, Clementine Pennyfeather. Clementine Pennyfeather. 
I think actually, I think you just hit something on the head that I, I wanted to get at. And this might've been why they brought her back. Um, there's this line later where Teddy says like their, their shit is written into their cells. They're not capable of change. And we have this theme of like, humans can't change but the thing we've been seeing through four seasons of westworld is that code can change even though we would think it's more like hardwired and we've seen a lot of different iterations of clementine and her goals and her intentions so maybe it was just a kind of way to round out that storyline of like these are the dynamic beings in this world and, and humans are not like look at how many different versions of clementine we've seen and now you have this kind of like vicious one who actually wants her own autonomy if i could fix one thing about this season i mean I, there's a few things i'd fix but i think after it was clear to char loris that host man in black was betraying her and had gone infected i wish she had gone to clementine who had not been infected even though clementine seemed to already be going against her in that one scene where she was talking to the host man in black but i, I just wish clementine was used more i would because this this scene would have made more sense if like Clementine and Charloris had maybe worked together to like fight the man back a little bit. I don't know. I, I just wish there was one more additional part of Clementine's storyline this season that would have made this amazing acting hit harder to me. Cause all I could think about was this is kind of weird. Why does she want to go live with the outliers? Related, what? Yeah. Related to that. Look, the, the scene ends up being really badass, but she kills our boy. And we're, it's yeah. like, wait, what the fuck? Like, she didn't earn that. And they know that. No. They know that. They know that no. Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan know that. This was just a fuck you moment to us, right? Because there's no other way to put it. Like, we, we love Stubbs. He's a, he's, a, he's a fan favorite. Everybody knows this. Yes. He's up there with Bernard. They're boys. Those are our boys. That's who we're rooting for. Man, they did not give us good innings for those guys. No, she shot him in the head and then shoved a, a, a shelf through his eyeball. You really killed his ass. I mean, really. Well, okay, so <laughs> I I'm going to I'm going to piss some people off. I kind of liked it because there's this like nihilism that I think you get through a lot of Westworld and also like I said, I really felt like this last episode was set up more like a video game than any other. And it's like that scene was like Caleb and Frankie on their little side quest that they had to do to like get to the main point and and in, in video games like you just kill people and there's no like mourning them. There's no big moment. And for this to be the episode that was most reminiscent of a video game, seeing these like major players just like get shot and move on it. I thought it was kind of cool thematically in a, in a way. And, okay. and I know that like, we would love to give more space to the emotional journey of characters that we've become attached to, but that's not what you get in a video game. And I felt like if we look at this whole episode as an extended aisle, First-person shooter, RPG, I don't know. I won't disagree with that take. Um, I do have a question. What do y'all think is the point? Okay, so the overall message of this show ends up being that, like, humans are trash. We're all doomed. Uh, we've already ruined the planet we had, and we're shit. That's every season. They beat us over the head with it. it. Does it feel a little redundant to you at this point? Like, the way this season wrapped up, with again being like, oh, there's the humans fail. There's literally here. This was this season's message was there is not a reality in which this place is salvageable. So it's very dark, I mean, right? It's not very yes, happy, but it's it's definitely not. Um, 
But I think that the, the, the human world in this show is a hyperbolic version of our current world, right? Like sure. we haven't created a sentient race that, to control and, and, and lord over it yet. I mean, I'm not saying that's not coming, but like it, it might be more of like an, I think the show is more of a AI, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a whistleblower thing, right? It's like, hey, don't fuck with AI because then the world's going to end. I had I agree with that. And I think that there's one other way to look at it, which is that we had a lot of like the hosts saying we're created in their image. There's a lot of themes of like children and generations. And I did feel like part of the host's journey could be viewed as an allegory for the next generation of like the way that our current generation of humans is going is kind of fucked. And if we continue down this path, we may very well be fucked. But every time Bernard says, but there's hope. And Dolores says like, there's hope for the next world or the next generation. I feel like you could also look at it as an allegory for how we bring our next generation of children into this world, which are also quite literally created in the image of the current generation. So I thought that was another spin on like a slightly less um, pessimistic view of humanity, especially from creators that are famously very attached to parent-child relationships damn serena hit us with the allegory ross boom we just got allegoried i like that i like the allegory and i like saying the word allegory it makes Shouts you to allegheny smart. county <laughs> so as far as the caleb and frankie storyline goes tying it into the clem thing i cannot get over one thing if frankie knew she had one bullet left in the gun. Why go through all that trouble and wait until Clementine is about to snap Caleb's neck to shoot her in the face? I have that written in all caps in my notes. It says, why the fuck did she wait? So, Ross, if you have an answer, please tell us. This was a season three moment. This was the kind of moment that we got repeatedly in season three where there's no logic. You can't possibly think of a reason why the character would behave the way they have them behave on screen. <laughs> And as such, it kind of sucks because it removes, it takes you out of it, man. So, I look, this one pissed me off. She, her popping up and going, JK, I did have one bullet, was just the lamest fucking thing ever. And to, especially because that was her killing Clementine, right? Yes. Yeah. We just watched Clementine take out Stubbs, which really sucked. And then just to have the weight of it, it just like they... I, I felt a lot of middle fingers from Jonathan uh, Nolan and Lisa Joy this week, and that was one of them. I, I was kidding. I do have a bullet in my gun. Yeah. What? Yeah, I didn't take issue with her killing Clementine after Clementine murked a bunch of people. That was the theme of the episode. Like, it was just a chain of people. Shoot. It's like that astronaut meme, like, but over and over and over again. Yeah. Holy shit, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it kind of has been. Yeah. And I feel Always like that, that is a metaphor for the season, by the way. Um, but we can get into that later. But my issue was the whole, like, why did she have to go attack Caleb and almost snap his neck? Like, what did we as an audience get out of that moment? Except maybe like 10 more seconds of, oh, is Caleb's story going to end here or at the boat? Okay. Yeah, I be Yes, because... If she He's wants to get that information, if she wants that information out of Frankie, I don't think killing her dad's going to get like, oh, no, you killed my dad. OK, <laughs> fine. I'll tell you. Like, so what? Here, here's what's crazy to me. I, I, there was a point in this episode where I was like, holy shit, they're going to take this to a place that I think is really interesting where Caleb, as he's falling apart, I thought he was going to like overcome 
the degenerating code inside of him or whatever and become this like, you know, level up and become this fully sentient fucking non unkillable thing or whatever. That's the direction the show kept making me think it was going. So I thought there were stakes in moments like Clementine about to snap Caleb's neck. But to Chris, to Serena's point, we already knew the man's dying. Like, so it just, it, it ended up being, I think they did a really good job this season overall of building moments with real stakes and real weight to them. And then they kind of fell back into their old habits of being like, oh, fuck them. When they did the the big moments for this episode, because it, it kept dinging that area of my brain. That's like, yeah, but why do I care about this? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Because I, I did kind of think that we have this whole thing about, oh, Caleb's capable of overriding Charloris's commands or something inside of him. Maybe that thing can be brought out and like fix the whole issue that she's been having with all of the Delos versions that she's created. Nope. Yeah, he even no. looked down at his hand at one point when it was all janky and he fucking like snapped it back into place and was like, I can go on. And I was like, oh, look at that. He's so, he's so strong and his humanity is so strong that he's going to overcome whatever this is and, and he's going to get to spend eternity with his daughter and that's going to be a dope happy ending for all of us and no, no, none of that. No, no, I feel like that was deeper into the allegory of like, we need to do everything we can for the next generation. And, and she just you know, hit us with the allegory bomb again. It's, I'm going to say it probably six more times. Um, but I did feel like that was the point of the whole Caleb is literally breaking down and is keeping himself going forward to get Frankie to safety. It's like, yes, parents will do anything for their, their children. And also the point that like we are probably fucked and we need to put our asses on the line for the next generation. Here's my here's my question. Did they think boomers are going to watch Westworld and go, oh my God, we've got to change? Boomers? <laughs> Dude, no, no, this is for us. This is for millennials. We're like, we're bringing kids into the world right now. This is 100% geared at like, hey, listen, millennials, you had a fucked childhood. Now the world is fucked. Like, raise your kids better than boomers. We didn't fuck you. this. I'm 35. I don't take responsibility for this shit. You this shouldn't. Is the boomers. It's not your fault. But you now we have to fix the mess. <laughs> what I'm saying is, well, well, yeah. What I'm saying is, Greta Thunberg's already out there. We know, we know. And so my 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 question and my point about the overall message of the show is that it gets a little bit too nihilistic for me at times. Where I'm like, bro, we we for the most part, people watching Westworld on HBO are aware of the overlying issues in our society. I don't think that's the audience that's necessarily needing the messaging that they're giving us is, is what I'm saying. And especially not if the message is we're all fucked because we, we get that messaging all day, every day through social media, every news outlet, it's everywhere. So it, it ends up grading on me a little when the end of the season is like, eh, I couldn't grasp onto really any positive message. So I was rooting for this Caleb thing that he would be Superman or whatever and become Neo and have the moment where he, you know, is able to see everything in fucking Matrix code. But instead, he just stands there on the dock and even fails to give a meaningful wave. Like, goodbye. Yeah, come on, dude. Bon Have you ever heard of Bon Voyage, bro? You Gross, gotta, blow some uh, kisses, you horse's ass. Do get something. Get a bottle of champagne, break it on the boat. Like, dude, this dude's never been to a boat launch before. What the hell? Do you guys, uh, speaking of which, Ross, do you, Mr. Tearjerker over here, feel satisfied with how Caleb's story ended? No. No, because I wanted him to, what I just said. 
That's what you you wanted Caleb to become sentient, beat the degeneration I mean, thing. Not sentient and, or whatever. He's already sentient, I guess. I wanted him to evolve to whatever was next and therefore not die and have a happy ending instead of it being like, hey, look, one of the iterations, what number was he? You uh, wanted him to get a happy ending? What the hell, Ross? It's like, that's not this kind of show. What, what, iter- <laughs> what number was he? 267, uh, maybe? Instead of it being the 260 or 286 or whatever version of him. 278. 278 version of him getting to hang with his daughter for a half hour before she floats off into the... Where the fuck is she going? Where is she going? Yes, that's a great question. Great. I guess she's going back to the outlier lands. What the hell is the, the outlier lands? And are they... Because at one know. point in the episode, they're like, humanity is extinct. Everyone is dead. This place is fucked. But we've just been told there are outlier lands where people are surviving in the desert, which is where Clementine wants to go, which is also where it appears that Frankie is maybe going. What the fuck? Yeah, that's a big, huge question I had about how the season ended. Dolores literally says sentient life on earth has ended. And I'm like, I literally just saw Frankie and her girlfriend boat away somewhere. Are you telling me they're dead? What are you saying? I do Serena, not did you have any how... answer here? Did you say Serena? Yeah, did you have yeah. an answer to this? I felt like it was just, again, uh, some people might not like this. I, I do feel like obviously they're dead because they said it, which leaves this question of like, okay, all that for what? But I feel like that's kind of the the question with the impending end of the world. Like, like everyone says, and sorry, this is a little dark, but a lot of people will tell you that the world is ending right now. Whether or not that's true, neither here nor there. But if and when we get to that point, it's going to be like, okay, all that for this. Yeah, like, but that's like that's like looking at your life as everyone is technically dying. We're all breaking down. We're all in the process of eventually finding death. And I don't look at death as, okay, what was the point of all this if there's going to be that? So, I mean, that's what, this is where we conflict. I think you, with where you're at and where <laughs> I'm at, we, we have differing views on the nihilistic, like, element of the show that is sort of the core of the show at this point, right? Like, what we're talking about, I think, is the fundamental core of Westworld. It's the cornerstone okay. of it. Okay, but here's here's the other thing, Ross. I think that at the end of the day, whether or not you think the world is ending and we're all dying, we're all going to die eventually. So if you look at your time on earth as like, what did I contribute? Did, did I add more good than bad? You could say that Frankie and the outliers, that sounds like a, a girl band. It does. Um, that you could say that they did that, right? They took people who, they woke people up. They took people who didn't fit within the confines of what society had become. They gave them a path to freedom and they fought their asses off for what they thought was right. And at the end of the day, if you look at that arc, I would say that that's a net positive. And we can all only hope that when our time comes, if we have that moment to reflect on our lives, that we can all say that we lived a life we're proud of, that we fought for what was important to us and that we contributed more good to the world than bad. And everyone's story is going to end at some point. So as long as when you get to that ending point, you are satisfied with the life that you lived. I feel like that's kind of what you get to with all of these journeys ending. And you see an array of different story endings. I mean, like the man in black did shitty things his entire life. And then you have these other characters, Bernard, like put him, put his ass on the line and Stubbs put his ass on the line to give everyone else a fighting chance. That's fair. Huh. Who, who I I'm just going to keep going. Who <laughs> who the fuck's balls does she have? 
She's walking. She's taking balls and crushing them left and right. She so she crushes the man in, the host man in black's ball in her hand. So man in the black gone forever, has, done. Yeah, yeah. never Ho- revivable. Ho- the, so we're led to believe the man in black, William, is dead. He's dead. Obviously, yeah. we see him in the in the flayed man thing, Ramsey yeah. Bolton, and then host man in black's pearls destroyed. So we're led to believe William is no longer a person. But the show. but to your point earlier in the pod. As long as Christina or Dolores rather has yes. memory of him, he can be recreated. So it doesn't actually matter. Exactly. It does not matter. The one she has in her purse, the orb in her purse is Christina's. As we know, she puts it into the sublime and the orb she crushes at the end obviously is her own. Yeah. It's I Char- had a question. Char- so do you, it's like, herself. is it like when you get your head chopped off, you get like 10 more seconds to see out of your eyes. When you pull out your fucking own marble, you still have some ability to control what happens for the next five okay. seconds. Cause what if you pulled out the marble and then yeah. your system just shut down and it's just you holding your marble on this cliffside forever. I literally thought about this and I, I, this says something that you and I both had this thought. I think what happens is before she took it out, she gave her body a command, right? It's like, it's like when you tell your computer to restart itself, your computer turns off and then knows to turn itself back on. It's like that. But instead of restarting, it was termination. Oh, man. Okay, cool. Yeah, but pretty happy with that one. You know what else I feel happy with? This episode's other sponsor, Felix Gray Glasses. This episode of Freeze All Motor Functions is brought to you by Felix Gray Glasses. The good folks at Felix Gray create effective research-backed products to improve humans' relationships with technology, making them a perfect sponsor for a Westworld podcast. It all started five years ago. When Felix, Felix Gray set out to create eyewear that would make it easier and more comfortable for humans to stare at screens. Why? Because whether you like it or not, we all live in a digital world and there are screens literally everywhere looking at our face all the time and they're wreaking havoc on our eyeballs and brains and they're causing things like eye strain, headaches, and blurry vision. The blue light emitted from these screens is the culprit and Felix Gray's clear blue light lenses filter 15 times more blue light than other clear lenses. Nine out of 10 customers experience relief from eye strain, headaches, and or blurry vision. And one of those customers is our very own Ross Abolin. Ross loves Felix Gray. Yeah, my favorite frames are the Faraday, the Nash, and the West. I've been wearing Felix Gray for a few years now. I've been wearing glasses and contacts since I was like 14. And I work on screens all day, every day. And when I'm done with work, I like to watch TV, movies, Westworld, sports, etc. So more screens. That's too many screens. Your eyes end up hurting. You get blurry vision, headaches, and whatnot. Felix Gray helps enormously um, throughout the course of my day as I will take out my contacts to give myself a break, wear Felix Grays if I'm gaming or watching TV or sports or whatever. If I'm staring at a screen for an extended period of time, I go with the Felix Grays because they work. And Felix Gray glasses don't just do a great job protecting your eyes and brain from the evil of screens. They're also incredibly high quality and built to last. Felix Gray makes clear blue light lenses as well as sunglasses. They have amber blue light lenses, all of which are phenomenal. I love their frames. I'm a big fan of the Kepler frame. I have those in sunglasses and blue light, clear blue light. Felix Gray has both non-prescription glasses and prescription glasses available, so they truly are for anyone and everyone. Gosh, I love them. Check out Felix Gray's full selection at felixgrayglasses.com slash famp, where you'll have access to free shipping, free returns, and free exchanges. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash F-A-M-F. All right, Jared, uh, before you jump back into it, Serena's got to run. So I wanted to give her the opportunity to give some closing thoughts on the season, on the whole, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, I appreciate that. Um, if I had not spilled coffee, we would not be in this position. So sorry, guys. Um, well, you have you have a work job, and we've already done an hour. It's perfectly acceptable. But we obviously appreciate you uh, being here with us all season, or almost all season. I guess you had a couple weeks there where you couldn't be with us. But always love doing the show with you and want to hear what you have to say about the, the season on the whole. Um, I'm really happy with it. I felt like it was a solid redemption from where we were at at the end of season three, where we were all like, uh, unsure. Um, one thing I am interested in, and I'm sure you guys will talk about this more after I go, but I wanted to raise it and see what you thought is we don't know if we're getting a season five. Um, I know that at the end of season three, they mentioned that they had enough content to go through a couple more seasons. And I read an interview from Lisa Joy on deadline saying that they have an ending in mind and they have since they started it, but um, they haven't, they don't know if they're going to be able to tell that story yet. And I know in television, if you don't know if you're getting a renewal, you kind of try to end things on a way that it could go either direction. Like if, if this were to stop right now, that what if would still be satisfying, but um, obviously I want to see what they have in mind for the final ending. And I, I think like, the number one criticism season four has gotten has been people are like, we want to go back to the park. We want to go back to the fucking park. That's what made us fall in love with the show. So now we have this setup where they could go back to the park. And I'm really hoping that we get there. Um, but I wanted to know what, how you guys would feel if this were the end of Westworld as we know it. Okay. So I thought this episode felt like a series finale. Um, and I didn't know until you just said that, that we weren't locked in for another season. So this makes this whole feeling I got feel very more like crazy. And I'm like, holy shit, is Westworld over? Because the way that they just ended this season, it like it feels like it was designed to make us feel like the entire Westworld series was an endless loop from season one to season four and back over again and again and again to where the world keeps ending. Just like we know from every simulation we've ever seen, the world's going to end. Rehoboam, the simulation one with Bernard. It seems like we are now in an, and it's like an, it's an allegory. I might say that's, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's beautiful because I'm, I'm right there with you, man. This look, I'd heard rumors that they had had signed on for two more seasons after season three. Okay. That there would be a four and a five, right? The closest thing we've had to any type of confirmation in regard to a season five has been an Ed Harris interview where he like he said some things about when they were going to start filming. Now that that potentially and that doesn't mean shit. They very clearly tied this thing up in a way where it could have been the final episode. And I think a lot of the audience would be happier if it was. I do not think they are in a position to go forward to season five comfortably. They did not end any of these fucking storylines in a way that gives them an easy place to go next. Not easy. And they just revived this thing from what was the worst season in their series to, I would argue, second best behind season one. And I don't think they want to fuck that up. I think that was probably it. I don't know why you would go back to this show and look, they gave themselves room and, and maybe HBO picks them up again or whatever, but... Things that Warner Brothers and HBO Max have been shaken up recently, too. It's a fucking mess out there. I don't know why you would force this. If I'm Jonathan Nolan and Lisa, Lisa Joy, I wouldn't. I would walk away. You gave it a beautiful ending. I thought they did, to, to answer my sort of question of whether they'd stick the landing on this season. I thought they did as best they could. I thought, I thought it pretty much stuck in terms of the message, in terms of the overall stories, all finding an ending. 
and me not feeling like I needed more to understand what I just watched, there were elements of it that I was like, what the fuck? Why'd they open the goddamn portal at all? If they were, if, if she was just going to come back and shut it. Did someone come well, out of it? She, she, yeah, she had to put Christina into it. But it needed to be open that whole time for her to be able to do that? I mean, anyway, point being... No. No, I no, overall really enjoyed it. And so now the question it, to hit Serena back where she was like, it, that's man, it's going to be an enormous decision for Lisa Joy, Jonathan Nolan, HBO, if they should even go do another one. I think that they that whole ending with going back to the park was not just for the viewer, but also a sales pitch. Like I, I have trouble not looking at things as a business decision and what made the show famous and great was the West aspect of it. You took the West out of Westworld and a lot of people really didn't like that. And the people who aren't going to like that the most are the people bankrolling it because they're like, well, the viewers want this. I mean, that's what development sits and does. So writers and development are always getting like this because writers will be like, we want to do this. And development's like, that's not what's going to sell. And you can't do that. Right. So I felt like that ending was also like, all right, development team will fucking take you back to the park for one last big ride 19 explosions and it's going to be sexy and hot and everyone's going to want to come back because we're back in the park so whether or not they get it i don't know i agree that i feel like if it ends here it is a satisfying ending i will not i'll be sad because we won't get to do this anymore but i won't be like mad about it but i i feel like that ending was very much them telling development executives hey let us take you for i mean dolores's line is literally one last the most dangerous game that is a pitch to the sales team that's like dude and my point is kind of if i'm the sales team i ain't buying that's not i i if i'm a development executive at hbo i'm looking at this going nope they found a way to get they ended it successfully it doesn't look like shit anymore we are cutting them off here yeah i that's a great point i actually think that when you look at it like that, like they, the way that they ended it, where it could, it could totally be the end of the series, but also they did leave it open and it could be totally either one. And we have no idea that actually takes a lot of work. I here's, like. But here's my point. Who in the hell that didn't come back for season three or two is going to hear, Hey, season four West or they're going back to the park season five of Westworld. Nobody, nobody that already isn't back is going to come back for that. Like, you've missed three seasons, two seasons, or even one, and now you're going to jump back into a show? Who does that in 2022? Yeah, they've also told us that it's a loop. So yeah. yeah. it seems like we're just going to see the same shit again. I think that was it. I think I hope that was it. I honestly do. I hope that was the end. Okay. You don't, you, you know, you hope it. You'll be still a little sad, though, right? You're not like, you're I'm not, like, absolutely happy a little sad. I'm a little sad, but I do not want them to plow forward into what I see as absolutely hazardous territory let's get a prequel let's say end westworld let's give us the bernard or sorry the arnold and ford full prequel not just the little teasers we got bring back anthony hopkins but <laughs> but make him young uh but but keep him as the actor but use uh deep fake of himself as a young guy i want a rebus spinoff anyway serena yeah. thank you for being with us uh can you give us your social media where can we follow you and see more of your work 
I am at Serena underscore, underscore, wow, at Serena underscore Therese on all forms of social media. Um, some listeners, hi, I just read my DM requests, which are sometimes scary um, today. So if if you've DM'd me Westworld takes, I'm like just getting to them, but please keep sending me messages. I love talking about this. Um, this has been such a wonderful and fun journey. And I'm very grateful that I was able to join you guys in a bigger capacity for this season. It was spectacular. So thank you for having me on and thank you um, listeners for taking this journey with us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You were greatly Serena. missed the last couple of weeks, uh, as was yes. evident in our in our in my replies and in my Twitter mentions. <laughs> um, thank you, Serena. Thank you so much, and um, I'm excited to hear what you guys say about the last couple minutes of the show. Yeah. All right. You're not gonna like it, probably. You're gonna be like these guys are dumbasses. <laughs> I have never thought that once in my life. That's a uh, lie. That's a bold that's question. a lie. That's a, you, why would you lie? Absolutely. Why, why would you lie? Wow. That's just. It's yeah. like this could be the last time we're all doing this, and I want to go out on a on a nice note. I hope it's not though. Okay. Okay. I, I hope it's not as well. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Okay. So what we need to do now, Ross, is run through this confusing ass ending, so that I'm just going to let you read through it. Confused. You're going to just let me read through it? Yeah. Just read through the whole thing, and then we can talk about it. Okay, so here, here's what I wrote down. This is my interpretation of the ending. Charloris decides to listen to Bernard and attempt to save the world after host Man in Black has destroyed the world that she's created. Charloris eventually kills the host Man in Black thanks to Bernard conveniently placing a gun for her. She destroys the host Man in Black's pearl. And then, before destroying her own pearl, Charloris takes the Christina pearl and uploads it to the Sublime. and. I really still am not totally sure why. Uh, one thing I kind of am upset about with this episode is that I'm not 100% sure about the ending. Season one, with how unbelievably it was, unbelievably confusing, season one, one was from episodes one through nine. At the end of season, or, sorry, episodes one through nine. At the end of episode 10 of season one, I was like, oh my God, I was confused for two and a half months and they just tied this all together. Now I'm like, I knew what was going on for two months. And now I'm not totally sure what happened. Did Charloris upload Christina to the sublime so that hopefully Christina, with her knowledge of both humans and hosts, having freed herself from both of them, like, did she do that in an attempt to preserve sentient life in the world after it was wiped out in the real world? I'm, I'm just confused. I'm just confused, Ross. Yeah, I mean, it... <sighs> Westworld has kind of entered that territory where it's like it's not even almost so much about the com the complete understanding of the plot mechanics as it is the overall sort of sentiment of what's occurring. But to get, I mean, to answer your question as best I can, it feels like what occurred this season is that Dolores, right? Dolores created a a reality for herself in two different places. One, for Charloris. Charloris has this realm she's dealing with and ruling over, whatever. But only sort of, because there's a Christina there, who's the other version of this, who's trapped in like her own little narrative or whatever. All, both of those people exist because they're a part of original Dolores, right? Original yes. Dolores, at the end of season three, to save the world or whatever, hooked herself up to the fucking computer and sort of... It's almost like she became, a, she became God, as Teddy puts it in this season. 
And then as God, she saw that she needed to give herself tasks or contain herself in certain ways and then created these realities. But in the end, it feels like what she is doing is measuring whether or not humanity is deserving of a chance. If there is any hope for the human beings or human sentience or whatever you want to call it to exist moving forward in a non-negative, in a way that's not just, this is all going to end. There isn't a version of this that doesn't end in destruction. Is there a way to get out of that, that, that loop and start a new one? And what I think the, the sort of half answer for like, if there was a season five, what would it be? Is it seems like it would be Dolores back in the park testing whatever is left of the humans, whether it be outliers or whatever, with using Westworld to test them to see if there is a worthy version of humanity to survive moving forward or whatever. But that's sort of what I took away from the show is it's like, this is God now. This is God. Dolores, Charloris, Christina, that's God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all right? And they're out there <laughs> and they're deciding if, these, if this fucking project they made where everything has gone completely awry is worth saving or if it should just be frankly destroyed. Okay. Uh, and that's sort of the overall thing I thought was going on with, you know, so the one version of, of Dolores, Charloris, goes, all right, well, I was the, I was the black hat and this, this didn't work. My version didn't work. So I'm going to end myself. And she ends herself in this very cool, serene, peaceful place where she's able to appreciate maybe the small little bit of humanity that she had in her, right? The other version it has been shrouded in this fucking maze she built for herself all season long. She finally gets out. Now season five would be the white hat's turn at what world she would create if she was trying to figure out if the humans could be trusted moving forward or whatever, if they're worth it or whatever. That's but sort that of world over is in, that world is, is not real. That's, that's the thing. To right. Me. That right. world is in the sublime. Yes. But what's the difference? And that's sort of where the metaverse part of the show comes into play. Right. You said it. You said the thing. If you, if yeah, if, if you, you can't, can't tell the, the difference, if you can't tell, what's the difference? And that's that's the part of the show that I think we waved bye bye to after season three, right? Like, we're never gonna have human stakes in this show anymore. They, they that that's gone. And if you can't accept that, Westworld is very hard to enjoy because it is about AI. It is about sentience. It is about sort of judging humanity. It's about all these different things, but it is definitely not going to give you normal television show, human stakes, live or die, love or lose. Like that is not this show, right? It's looking at things at a much crazier level than most TV shows do, which is why it's so complicated and confusing. But that, I mean, so my read on the ending was, was, was that, and I mean, that's just one angle of it. The other angle being, of course, what you said earlier, that this is, that, that was just a loop. She's right back at the park, right back where we were with season one, which plays into that whole, like, time is a flat circle bullshit from True Detective that we've all been grappling with ever since. And it's just an interesting, it plays into the Westworld themes, right? Yeah, loops. Loops is how we enter, literally enter the entire series. Like, people are, the hosts on their loops. Now it's like the entire, now it's all of sentience. I mean, seems to be on a loop. And it's also human life, the circle of life, as Elton John okay. put it. Look, we live, we die, we're born, we die, we give birth, we create, we die. This is all just an analysis of humanity and what it means to be a human being. Okay, but also what this has just introduced is the idea that the entire series of Westworld all took place in a simulation. 
because the way we ended it, the sublime is a simulation. They literally say sublime simulations. That's what Bernard ran. What we are now learning is that it is that what, what could go forward from here is a simulation in the sublime. And that simulation looks exactly like it would have looked at the beginning of season one. So Which, this literally, they just did the thing that we talked about the entire series long of making it all take place in a simulation. They just left that open. Sublime is, I mean, contains but that's, simulations. Uh, that plays too with the fact, like, all right, if planet Earth, and this is just, you know, speaking in broad generalizations, is beyond saving, is going to cease to exist, which I don't think there's anyone who disagrees with the fact that eventually the Earth will, will cease to exist. Does it make sense to take humanity create an AI version of it and have that live on after the earth is gone. And if it does, is there a difference? If those AI think they're real, it goes back to Westworld season one. If they think they're real, if they look real, if what's happening to them is perceived as real, then what is real and what is not? And that is the question, right? What is real? What is not? Maybe you should question the nature of your reality, Jared. I am. See, but that's the show. That's the fucking show. It's a that mind show. fuck show, dude. It's always been a mind fuck show. And people who are like, I don't understand what happened. So it stunk are assholes. That is not what I was doing with season three. I don't expect to understand what happened. I expect to be entertained and I do not expect to be made to feel like a fool for wasting my time watching your program. And that's what season three did. This was not that. Was it confusing as all hell? Absolutely, bro. There were times during this episode where I was scratching my head going, maybe it's just that I'm a moron. <laughs> but in the end, I thought they wrapped it up very nicely. I thought it gave us this discussion in and of itself to me as proof that it was good because there's there's analysis to be done. There are questions to be asked, feelings that come out as a result of all that. That didn't exist in season three. Season three didn't give me a longing to further understand what I had just seen. Right. It, it just made me go. Oh, I want to move on. This was yeah. not that this. I want to sit here for an hour and 45 minutes with you talking about what the fuck we just saw. So it's, you do it's bring just, up a great point. Yeah. The, because now that you talked about how, you know, Charlotte was the black hat version of like keeping hosts alive and humanity alive. And now Christina's clearly the white hat one. Like I said, she has freed herself from both. She's seen the evil of both and she's seen the beauty of both. So she's the one uniquely qualified to go to Sublime and, and kind of see, is it worth keeping this shit alive? She could end it whenever she wants, but she's kind of like, like you said, the God in the Sublime and she can do whatever the hell she wants, whatever Absolutely. the hell she wants. It's that, it's that fucking egg thing where you open one and there's a smaller one inside of it and a smaller one inside, or the, it's the, what Christina said too. the whole, I mean, what uh, Serena said, the whole story, the whole fucking show is that meme of the guy behind the guy pointing the gun at the gun at the gun at the gun. At the gun at yeah. Like it's all loops. It's all that cyclical and inf- infinite craziness. And I mean, if you're looking for them to accomplish their original goals, which is what I think they did beautifully in this season, then we won here. We did. This, this has me asking all the questions that season one had me asking. What, what is real? What does it mean to be a human being? How do we go forward from here knowing we've utterly fucked up our planet? Those are the most important questions you could get a human being to ask themselves. That's what this TV show has accomplished. Therefore, to me, it has reestablished itself as a great show. That's also why I do not want it to go forward. <laughs> I think this is it. You've gotten me where you wanted me. 
You've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Do not give yourself the chance to accidentally, you know, fuck that up. Stain it. It's like you said, I don't see a way forward personally. I do not see a way forward. I don't either. You you and I have broken this down show, broken this show down more than almost anybody besides other podcasters. And I don't see a way forward that's not redundant or bad. Yeah, I'm, that's and that's why I'm so confident there won't be a season five, even if they gave themselves the option with White Hat Dolores version of whatever. I don't think it's necessary for one. I think it would be so difficult. You have to imagine episode one. What would it even be? Do you have any idea how difficult it would be to set up? A now, and how, how do you get the audience to give a shit about that world, what you're seeing moving forward? Knowing there is no humanity, no or whatever. The how do you aren't real now? Yeah, how do you do? How do you readdress all that? Like you said, it would be very redundant. It's just so unnecessary, and I think they wanted to be able to do this season without people knowing maybe it was the last. And I and and for that reason, please no season five. I mean, the, yeah, the way they ended it with the screen goes black and then the voiceover from Dolores, like it. It hit to me. That's why that's why I didn't I thought we were locked in. I thought maybe filming even started for the next season. So and I had that thought. I was like, this I literally wrote in my notes before Serena said all that. I was like, this seems like a series finale to me. Because it's the way they ended it. I really liked it. I liked it more as a series ending than as a season ending. Because the way they set it up, like I said, it's literally it has completed the loop. Yeah. From the beginning of season one to the end of season four. And if right now, I'm telling you, right now. If you went and just watched the last episode of season four and you went back and started season one over, the loop would make sense. That's it why would. I think it's such a perfect ending. Yeah. So, I, I, again, I'll, I'll be sad if Westworld's over, but like, if not, they, 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 they tied it up. I'm or about if, to, if I got to piss. Over, I mean, I, I'm going to pee in my pants. I have to pee. <laughs> Ross is going to pee. And guess what? That does it for freeze all motor functions season four finale recap as well folks as well as this entire season of freeze all motor functions as a whole thank you all so much for joining us this season we really really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and interact with us on social media and experience this amazing show with us you can follow Serena at Serena underscore Therese on all social media. You can follow Ross at WR Bolin on all social media. Also, check out the Ross Bolin podcast. Frieza Motor Functions is now over, folks. This podcast is over for the season. So you need a new podcast. So go check out the Ross Bolin podcast. And if you like other HBO shows like, uh, I don't know, House of the Dragon, which is literally about to come out, the Game of Thrones spinoff, guess what? Ross is literally doing a podcast for House of the Dragon. His Game of Thrones podcast is called Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, formerly the number one Game of Thrones podcast in all of the realm. And Ross and his co-host, Barrett Dudley, will literally be covering every single episode of House of the Dragon in depth. You're not going to want to miss this, folks. Their community over there is huge. It has been years in the making for the return of Game of Thrones by way of this spinoff. So, folks, you really got to go to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, and you got to check out that podcast. Ross, how pumped are you for this spinoff? That's right, Jared. I just took a huge whiz, and I'm I'm extremely excited um, about House of the Dragon. Obviously, starts next week, next Sunday. Uh, it's crazy that this worked out the way it did, where 
Westworld served as the lead up to House of the Dragon and then was actually enjoyable and good um, because I think it gives HBO an even better chance at having a huge opening week for this first Game of Thrones spinoff. We're very excited. So listen to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. Barrett and I will be recording immediately after uh, the premiere on Sunday night so that the episode this is available Sunday. for you all Tuesday morning. Yeah, this upcoming Sunday, man, it's happening. So. I cannot believe it. I, I'm like, and I'm, I, I cannot believe it's already here. Holy crap. So already here, it's happening, and uh, we're excited. We're very pumped. So yeah, thank you all for enjoying this season of Westworld with us, by the way. I think we all, I, I want to hear from everybody that, that maybe, okay, if you feel like this didn't redeem season three, I would like to hear your take on Twitter. Holler at me at WR Bolin because I'm I'm very impressed with what happened here. I think that was a very difficult rebound to make, and they did it. And it was a cool ending. And to Jared's point about the way it was all loops, perfect, beautiful, so poignant. And and that's all we ever wanted, Jared. You and I. That's we all just we ever want wanted poignants, and the ending quite poignant, and the simulation idea. Now that that this whole entire series is a simulation as poignant as it gets it is it's be- it was beautiful let's let's give it a fam for shall we fam fam you can yeah. follow me at jared borisol on all social media and if you like formula one and you need a podcast because fam's over you're required to check out my formula one content brand formula bone where i make previews and recaps for every single race make a ton of content over there check it out thank you all so much once again for joining us this season it's time for the NPR style sign off. Free Zone Motor Functions has been brought to you by Bolin Media and is hosted by me, Jared Borislow, along with Ross Bolin and Serena. The show is produced by me, Jared Borislow. Special thanks to Phil from DC, aka Schnapple on SoundCloud for our intro music and Brad Hess for our outro music. This may be the last time we ever do this. We don't know. We don't know. But, Ross, let's hit him with a fan porn. Fans, fans, fans. Love y'all. This was amazing. Support Bolin Media. Listen to Formula Bone F1 show. Check out the Ross Bolin podcast. Jared and I will be around. Fam.